Well, welcome back to Oscar Bait. We, welcome back, friends. Another, it's another day, sun shining, birds are chirping. It's a beautiful time to be a film fan, too, because uh, it's that time of the year when the Oscars are over. And you can remember that there are other movies out there that you don't have to put into your discourse all day. So we get a brief month where we can just think about what is to come. Before we maybe talk about that, let's uh, talk about our guest joining us today. If you're listening to our podcast, you probably know this podcast. Uh, this We are joined by Matt Chrisman from the Chapo Trap House. Thanks for coming by, Matt. No, thanks for having me. As I said, it's a big, it's a big year coming up. We got lots of, lots of stuff coming. Uh, is there anything you're excited for in this coming 2023? I mean, I'm I'm a sucker for the practical nuclear effects, so uh, definitely Oppenheimer. I don't know. Do you think there's anything else that could possibly use practical effects in this coming year? Maybe it seems the, unlikely. Maybe yeah. David Cronenberg. Got another one. He's usually good for it, yeah. I saw today that every French person's favorite filmmaker, Xavier Dulon, is doing one of the Silent Hill movies. <laughs> Wait, really? I don't know. There'll be some practical effects in that. <laughs> um, Genuine pyramid heads? <laughs> I don't see it. That'd be exciting. That'd be fun. Yeah, that would be cool. <laughs> There's one movie that coming out that is not going to use practical effects and is, in fact, using some serious new AI technology, and that's the movie Here, coming out by one Robert Zemeckis, uh, utilizing some crazy new AI thing called Metaphysics Live. Are are you aware of this technology, Matt? No, sounds terrifying. (laughs) It's just some de-aging shit, it seems. I guess they used it on the, one of the the mass singer, not the mass, someone's got talent, They've got the uh, they get they brought Elvis on stage with this shit, so pretty exciting. <laughs> oh, it's um, the end times. Yeah. <laughs> so now, now we're gonna see Tom Cruise and or not Tom Cruise, what's funny? Tom Hanks <laughs> and uh, and Robin Wright de-aged back to the Forrest Gump era. Could be cool. We'll um, can't wait to see. Let's not go nuts, <laughs> like he has with technology. <laughs> he, he kind of shows how on a long enough timeline any approach to art can uh will start to eat itself because when he's doing back to the future who and roger rabbit he is taking the best of uh of cutting edge uh digital effects and and, and special effects and using them uh to their greatest advantage but over time that becomes uh, an obsession with covering Tom Hanks and ping pong balls. Yeah. I will say though, that the technology's improved. Uh, we had his wife on recently, Leslie Zemeckis. She said that they've actually decreased the amount of ping pong balls. <laughs> yeah. She was gr- happy to report that now it's only like two or three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what's the point then? What's I don't the know. Fun if you're not going to just slather an Oscar winner in ping pong balls. <laughs> I guess the other option is is uh, the man from uh, wait what the man called Otto from um, Otto a man called Otto, Otto. Yeah. Oh, okay. named Otto is he named Otto I don't know that I movie's named Otto. Otto I think so the movie should have just been Otto with an exclamation point <laughs> yeah.
how do you feel about some of his uh, CGI movies, mainly Polar Express and Beowulf? We're not going to ask you your opinion. Uh, yeah. Brutally alienating experiences. <laughs> That's all I, that, it's uh, gross. Uh, you're, you're camping out in the uncanny valley. You brought sandwiches. <laughs> all right. So you're not a fan of those. What about, uh, what about welcome to Marwin where he sort of blends that? Oh t- man, that is a fever dream. That movie is something else. <laughs> okay. It's very, once again, just disturbing. Creeping me out with the, with the, with the live dolls. So I know a few people had to have had the best day of their life watching Marwin, but it wasn't me. Yeah, that would be for sure. I find Marwin to be a film that the more I watch it, the more I, my appreciation grows for it. And how many times have you seen Marwin? Welcome to Marwin. I would say four or five times, probably. Oh, that's too many times. It might be enough time. It might be enough time to really kind of refigure some things in your skull. Because the first time I saw it, I did feel pretty alienated by it. At the end of the day, I just kind of was like, well, that was interesting. But I think on that rewatch, something, one of those dolls really like grabbed hold of me. And I. Janelle Monet got you on the rewatch. Yeah, oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, I love, yeah, I love Janelle Monet's Barbie doll character. But um, <laughs> watching that movie, it resembles less as CGI movies and it truly feels like his version of Lost Highway. <laughs> like it's extremely disturbing it misdirects you in this way that it makes you think it's going to be sort of about this guy dealing with ptsd and how he's coping with that and kind of becomes an exploratory uh thing into like the mind of this kind of unwitting misogynist this as we've called them like a puppy dog misogynist the way that his character treats and reacts to women is i don't know i mean Maybe I just love seeing white dudes taken to task. <laughs> he, Mark, that guy, uh, Steve Carell's character, he was called out and called in. <laughs> yes, yes, he was. He achieved both at once, which is probably that whiplash is what gave that movie no box office. I mean, in Chicago, yeah. there is still a, there is no joke, there is still a billboard of it up in the city of Chicago. Wait, really? <laughs> yeah. Where? It's near this uh, <laughs> near this laundromat I used to work. So it's just decrepit, and it's. You just- have to go take a fucking picture in front of that. Oh, I have so many. <laughs> well, we can move on from Marwin. We don't have to. We don't have to beat those dolls to death. Who framed Roger Rabbit probably had the the bigger effect memory that I remember, uh, largely due to the, uh, the sexual awakening brought about by uh, Jessica Rabbit's character. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is an amazing feat of uh, of special effects to make a to make a really really sexy uh, cartoon lady that everybody is everybody wants to fuck. And kudos <laughs> to him on that one. Still to this day, yeah, and to imprint so deeply onto the psyches of generation. Yeah, she really. Yeah, it's it's almost interesting why uh, Disney doesn't seem to want to make a, a sequel. To that movie i've heard their biggest issue is jessica rabbit i think even zemeckis has said that in like interviews like it's too hot it's too sexy <laughs> you're gonna get people more. eating the eating their the theater seats they're gonna be hopping up and down like baboons <laughs> yeah 
No, I'm sure you put Jessica Rabbit now, 2024, bopping around with that that behind, and yeah, really, it could be Rights of Spring in the theater. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you can't. They would have. They would get so sued for people claiming injuries from hitting themselves in the head with mallets, <laughs> their eyeballs extending out onto their stocks and wrapping up 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 against one another and exploding. Yeah, the movie turning people into literal Tex Avery Wolf characters. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's funny how far we've come from the, uh, I would say the, the golden days of Hollywood filmmaking where you could make who frame Roger rabbit and not only make who frame Roger rabbit, <laughs> like add in the sort of, uh, political commentary that you did at the time and not have anyone really seem to notice it. Mm-hmm. I mean, the thing that always strikes me so much about who frame Roger rabbit is, uh, is, is, mostly the scenes involving the tunes considering they're now like being relegated to being like second class citizens that can only work service jobs you know how they weave in the whole uh the whole uh they don't really explicitly say it but they sort of make reference it's post-war sort of the government subsidies that came in to build highways and doom seems like the ultimate cartoonish extension of uh of the evils of capitalism at that time yeah, no, it's uh, it's amazingly incisive. I mean, they basically did make Chinatown with, with cartoon characters. It's it's amazing to look back on it. Yeah, it's it's pretty wild mm-hmm. that they ever that the movies like that ever got made. But we have it, thank God, and it's now locked up on Disney Plus forever. So, <sighs> I know. yeah, apparently uh, there is a Roger Rabbit ride or something at Disneyland, and uh. In it, Jessica Rabbit uh, was wearing a trench coat because they had to they had to prevent riots. <laughs> Is that real? They had to desexify her. Wearing a trench coat. Jesus. Yeah, God. yeah. Got to got to got to turn the temperature down there. I'm amazed they're still even putting up Roger Rabbit rides. The kids even know hers. what Roger Rabbit is. I, I guess I don't know. I guess it's for the parents probably. We were. Saddened to hear that the Back to the Future ride has been turned into a, I think a Minions racing ride. Yeah. Oh man! <laughs> That's all the kids know today is damn Minions. That's all they talk about <laughs> Spanish Minions. Did you ever take the uh, Back to the Future ride at Universal? Uh, I went to Universal Studios one time. I don't remember Back to the Future ride. I do remember that the Jaws ride was broken. Oh, no. And uh, that was a big bummer. Well, it's gone uh, now, too. They got rid of the Jaws ride? Jaws ride's gone. Really? Uh, what what yeah. the shit is the point of anything? Then? Yeah. That, that yeah. was the thing about Universal. That's the... Anybody seen Mall Rats? Yeah, that's the whole point. <laughs> that's the whole point of Universal Studios. It's the fucking Jaws ride. What the hell do they have? The Minions instead? Is that it? Minions and I think Fast and the Furious now. I've taken. Uh, 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 I need to lie down. Yeah, I hate that we brought that to you on this. It was just supposed to be a nice one, but it stinks. <laughs> yeah, to quote Jay Sherman, it does stink. It's <laughs> it's it's pretty unfortunate. I mean, it's not going to be long before the the psycho house probably gets torn down. Oh God! Surely the ambiance. No, surely not. I mean, I did go to the King Kong ride, which is pretty scary. And then I remember meeting Beetlejuice. Oh, that's God. about it. 
the King Kong ride is still there. What is interesting that they have changed about the King Kong ride is that now they used to be for the King Kong ride, there used to be like graffiti and like posters and stuff to make it look like a seedy New York alleyway. But they've taken all that off. In fact, they've replaced it with newer posters. They used to, I remember, have a poster for John Carpenter's Village of the Damned. Mm. And apparently they've now replaced it with probably Jurassic World <laughs> or something like that. Oh, but they, they're truly just erasing everything. They only got rid of the Terminator ride as well. Yeah. What rides do they have besides the fucking minions then? <laughs> <laughs> It's a real shame. Universal has really gone by the wayside. Uh, I've heard they even changed the Jurassic Park ride, so there's really nothing left. But Get out of here. Yeah. Well, before this becomes just a sad lament for the dummy, <laughs> studio-sponsored uh, amusement parks. But let's talk uh, just recent for uh, Mr. Zemeckis. How do you feel about uh, his film Allied? Uh, that's the one with... Uh... Uh, Brad Pitt. Yeah, Marion Cotillard. Angelina Jolie. Oh, I wish. Never saw it. <laughs> if you were Angelina. Oh, Marianne Cotillard, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah I never saw it. Yes. Oh, well. I heard it was boring. Oh, no. It's good? Oh, I would okay. say I would say that's probably one of his greatest films. Uh, I've heard others like it. I, I saw somebody had it on their, their sight and sound like best of list. I was like, what? It was Kiyoshi Kurosawa. Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, he can't argue with that. Zemeckis head in all the land, it seems. Yeah, he claims it's one of the best films of the past like 30 years or something like that. Yeah. Wow, I need to check this out. I will say it's the best example of what he could do with technology in that. So, what is, what, is this, what is the effects that he's doing there? He basically reconstructs digitally the entirety of Casablanca. Like, he, but you don't notice. It's one of it's one of my favorite kinds of Zemeckis things where his insane effects work is largely invisible. Yeah. We didn't yeah. even know that until we spoke with uh, the critic Dave Kerr. And then he pointed out that all of when they construct Casablanca at the beginning of the movie is entirely fake. Mm-hmm. And it's, I guess what got the movie made is he was able to rein in the budget that way. But it's all completely invisible. Yep. Wow. Yeah. It's pretty nuts. Why does he do that though? Why why would he do that? To get because he, he couldn't get budgets because no one would let right. Him. But I mean, why would he make Casablanca? It's not a it's not a remake of Casablanca, is it? I didn't think that was the case. It's it, like a it's like a arguably parallel story within the universe of Casablanca. Oh, it's in the I I'm sorry, it's in the Casablanca cinematic universe. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the CCU. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's firmly implanted in there. I mean, he's. He definitely seems to have an obsession with Casablanca. Do you do you remember any of his uh, um, any of his episodes he did for Tales from the Crypt? Oh yeah, I uh, mean I watched every episode of Tales from the Crypt. Uh, which ones did he do? Well, his most famous one is the one of the woman being attacked by. Santa. <laughs> oh right, yes, classic, classic. Um, that was uh, from that was from the original Tales from the Crypt film. Yeah. Democratic, yeah. Yeah. And then he's a is it pretty hard. And uh <laughs> and it's pretty cool. Uh he also did one for the spin-off that I think only aired once, Two Fisted Tales. Yeah, it's supposed to be like Westerns and war stories from the EC comics that didn't fit in Tales from the Crypt and it bombed really bad, so they're only 
three episodes that they made into one movie and showed once. <laughs> but it's cool. Man, it's like, I don't remember that. Shit. Oh man, we got. I, I want to see that. Yeah, well, I'll I'll email it to you. Yeah, we'll send it your way. It's impossible to find, but yeah, it's it's like Kirk Douglas, and it's like uh, yeah, it's this kind of trench set war story. Even oh Kirk- wait a minute, the the one with Kurt Russell and his fail son. Yeah, they did. Yeah. They did. That was a Tales from the Crypt episode. Even though, yeah, it is also way off uh, brand yeah. for yeah. Tales from the Crypt. They did release it as a Tales from the Crypt episode because I remember seeing it. The the he he thinks his dad's gonna save him from getting uh, executed, but yep. then he actually uh, makes sure that he gets killed. Yeah, <laughs> great episode. But he makes he makes him first admit, like show that he's not scared. Yeah. So that so that he can have peace that his son's not yellow. <laughs> yeah, even though he's only not scared because he doesn't think he's gonna die. Yeah. Uh-huh. While Dan Aykroyd is standing there next to him. Oh yes, Aykroyd's in there. Yeah, having uh, the Kurt Douglas cast in there, brilliant. Oh, it's yeah. glory and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Great. Unfortunately, what you don't get in the Tales from the Crypt is for Two Fisted Tales, they tried to. <laughs> They tried to like basically one up the crib keeper oh, and they're like, yeah, we got a guy, we got a paraplegic who uh, just curses at you and insults you <laughs> and like brandish oh, yeah. gun at the screen. And says like some like truly filthy shit. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah no, no wonder that failed because he's truly just. Like not not with a wink and like the macabre fun of Tales from the Crypt Keeper. Like he's just like truly berating everyone. <laughs> he's just putting you down at yeah. the beginning of the episode. <laughs> so I guess it didn't really connect. But but where oh, yeah. I, where I was going with this is that the final episode he did was the one. I don't know if you remember this. It was pretty later on. Uh, it was John Lithgow, uh, Isabella Rossellini, and like. This guy basically gets face reconstructive surgery to look like Humphrey Bogart. Oh, yeah. I remember that was a big deal because that was like considered a groundbreaking special effect. Yeah. Which today it's it's very funny. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, I'm sure it really holds up. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of Lost Highway, it looks literally like when the the man from nowhere's like face appears on Patricia Arquette. <laughs> that is kind of the least interesting well maybe it's the most interesting thing because he's kind of playing around with that forrest gump technology before that mm-hmm. but speaking of casablanca he has isabella Rossellini basically just dress up as her mom from casablanca in it which is just so strange and i guess points to some deep obsession he has with michael curtiz's casablanca but for allied he basically it doesn't deal with any of those characters. It just, he plops you into that world to kind of like make you feel like you're, I don't know, like at a Warner brothers backlot world war two movie. Let me put it this way. Are you a fan of what lies beneath? Uh, maybe I saw that one time. Yeah. Basically if you watch it again, Harrison Ford's creating a, uh, basically a serum that like leaves you immobile, but you're still able to like breathe and like, you're still fully conscious. You just can't fucking move. It's horrific. And then like him and his buddy are whining about how you can't like, you know, fuck your secretary anymore without getting in trouble. And it's so weird. I figured you would probably also distrust geneticists as much as you should. 
that was also used that that uh, element that concept was used in a different tales from the crypt episode with the tony goldwyn when they inject him with this stuff it's like supposed to be a prank and he thinks he's been killed but he's oh. like just he's just been given this paralyzing agent but he's still conscious mm-hmm. and then you find out no he is he is dead and then the, the horrifying last moment as he's getting his autopsy is they said that the feeling was the first thing to go but it's the last <laughs> yes <laughs> interesting tales from the crypt end <laughs> i wonder if since Zemeckis was the producer of that show i wonder if that's i would i would not be surprised Hmm. Well, are there any Zemeckis movies that you just love that you consider like to be some of the greatest cinema? I mean, I'm I'm a I'm a normal loser. I like I like Who Framed Roger Rabbit does it really does feel like a perfect film, and uh, the the Back of the Future trilogy is uh, is pretty great. I mean, uh, the second one is a little loud and a little all over the place, but it's still got its moments, and the third one is just. Uh, I, I still remember reading the the Leonard Moulton movie guide describing uh, Back to the Future 3, and it said, there's some real movie magic here, and there absolutely is. Rousing, rousing stuff there. Yeah, you can see he finally got to have a little fun with making movies again, where I think part two is kind of like him filling a quota mm-hmm. and getting a big bag. But he wanted to get he wanted to go out west. Yeah, he just yeah. wanted to do his like fucking Buster Keaton train scene, and he kills it so hard. It's awesome train scene! Oh man, oh. you got those uh, combustible bundle things exploding in the boiler and everything. Yeah. Yeah. And actually had Mary Steenburgen like on a horse dismount to the the train. That's the kind of filmmaking <laughs> we'll never get again. No. We need, we just need more actual stunts. What would you like to see most return to movies? Uh, well, I mean, I'm on the record. Uh, squibs. That's that's the yes. one thing I would take if I could if I could get it. Would be squibs and real blanks. Of course, thanks to Alec Baldwin, they're probably never coming back again. But <laughs> that that's that is what I wish because the uh, you can't replicate the uh, the impact of of an actual little thing going off in someone's chest and then some blast of fake blood. You can't do it. It cannot be uh, replicated. I've not seen it replicated anywhere with any kind of uh, satisfying um, effect. Did Dragon Across Concrete have squibs in it? Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Probably. When when Jennifer Carter's Carter's head explodes, that's definitely a practical effect. Yeah. (laughs) That's the one I remember. Yeah. I... my memory serves me correctly. There's some pretty terrific squib use in that. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are a couple people trying to do it at least. Yeah. Weren't Will? Weren't you telling me? Because remember when we joked about um, we wanted to put on that school shooter series at the music <laughs> box? Yeah. What was the one you were telling me that you said had like squibs in it? It's <laughs> got right wing fucking movie. They're very. Oh yeah, run, run, fight, hide, or whatever. Yeah, the, the Ben Shapiro movie, which was surprisingly good. <laughs> oh, I watched it? it for the show. No, the but the one I was talking about was the the real trashy, no budget affair, Duck, the Carbine Massacre that the uh, 
William Hellfire and his friends made and went to jail for because they broke into a high school to shoot it at night. <laughs> and then everyone wow. thought it was real because <laughs> they had their guns and shit. <laughs> and it was, you know, made made in a just a astonishingly delicious poor taste very nearly after Columbine. So, you know, <laughs> but that one's got some squibs. That's for sure. Some homemade squibs, too. So the my favorite kind. Let's let's take a little before we jump into the last thing we want to talk about. We like to talk about what's going on with movies now, especially things during the award season. What did you think about this last year and maybe these subsequent years of the movies that get fed to us through PR campaigns that tell us that no, in fact, Nomadland literally is the best movie ever made or everything everywhere and everyone together at once. That one, the, the Nomadland thing, uh, I mean, that was absolutely baffling. Uh, I, I, I guess it's it's just that that urge, the 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 Academy urge to uh, feel like they are confronting issues without being disturbed by them. You know, yes, you know, it's a country full of lonely people, the precipice of economic obliteration, but. You know, they, they, it also is an opportunity for people to really learn about themselves. Uh, yeah, the, the, the everywhere, everywhere and all at once, all over the place movie, that is just the final uh, triumph of uh, Marvel over everything. It is the final uh, domination of the comic book movie model as the only type of movie that gets made. It might not be branded MCU. It might not be part of any of the specific universes but it is fundamentally a superhero film uh and now uh at this point they know how to uh hit the the buttons in people's mind to make them feel like they're watching something that has uh, emotional substance while fundamentally uh obeying the the structural rigors of the superhero genre it's it's really interesting how that has kind of wedged itself into the whole uh like i guess what you could call the indie film market which has not existed for decades i mean studios have taken that over completely but it's like it's very funny i mean we hated that movie and mostly like for i think what you're talking about like kind of what it represents going forward uh and that this is a death knell it was truly a death knell and that's why i sweat so much watching it because i was sad (laughs) Yeah, like this is cutting edge cinema that's really gonna like break narrative structure. Uh, and we got the fingers, we got the the rocks, and I mean, it just it's sad. But now it's even sadder is watching these people who like were like, thank God, art triumph at the Oscars. <laughs> Daniels have done it, and now they're like, and within a week or so, have completely turned on them because they directed an episode of uh like some new star wars show and now everyone for the money impossible yeah they were like they've sold out wait a minute what do they actually think that how that that movie is the classic audition piece hey look we can do this stuff and we can even do it in a way where we don't even have to use the ip and we can still get the same audience uh response imagine what we could do with the ip (laughs) 100 it's shameless. I mean, it's completely shameless and literally what it is auditioning to do. And I was wearing that cool, like 
em, emblazoned jacket that said punk on it at the Oscars <laughs> to let you know. <laughs> yeah, his imposter syndrome's really coming out there. <laughs> I think like it's just like the whiplash that we seem to be in in this day and age. And certainly, you know about this. You guys talk about this on your podcast, but how quickly one can go from thinking that real art has been created. Not only real art's been created, it keeps getting created with Nomadland, with whatever, with the the, the Coda movie. <laughs> <laughs> to the point now where it is just, that's what we accept as as truly art house cinema. And we should, uh, we should uphold it. And not only that, we should uh, admonish uh, one of the wealthiest people in the world and treat them as like they were a great underdog, Michelle Yeoh, for being in the movie. And we love Michelle Yeoh. I mean, but did you find it a little shameless in how Michelle Yeoh might have been utilized for that movie? I mean, everybody that they, they bring back short round, which I mean, that's that's it's supposed to be. Oh, look, he got this job after all this time. It's not like he'd been it's, it's he'd given up for years of being an actor. These guys were literally like, oh, wouldn't it be epic if Short Round was in the movie? And then they put him in the movie. Yep. And th- that, and then you, you're like, oh, uh, oh, look. I mean, that's the kind of of of, of uh, pandering that we're talking about, and and pandering to a specific point of view. I mean, I think more than anything, what the Marvel aesthetic uh, 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 approach represents to me is just a uh, a surrender to the narcissistic. Uh, perspective of the lumpen uh, uh, nerd millennial nerd audience generally male uh, who go to these things and who you can kind of get uh, who can be manipulated into getting behind uh, films because they have this pretension to uh, be you know serious consumers of art because they know they're supposed to but at base, they just want the candy that they've been consuming their entire lives. And they want the, everything they see to reflect their concerns and their uh, aesthetics and everything else. So, oh, look, they're short round. And then let's give this 60-year-old Chinese immigrant uh, millennial American uh, malaise and anxieties. Uh, and, and, let, and also, let's uh, make a movie where the premise is your uh, identity, your your personhood is irreducible through time and space. And no matter what things change, you are still you. That's that's what they're selling. And, and the reason it's a guaranteed moneymaker is because they know what the response will be. They, all you got to do is give a, a bare uh, gesture towards uh, some sort of uh, rigor or a genre indulgence. And they will they will go crazy for it, and they did. Yep, swept. Yeah, worked like a charm. The algorithm once again, uh, it stays winning. Do you find that to be? I mean, I'm sure you do. I'm asking the obvious, but more to our our listeners, you find this very disturbing. I <laughs> like. Yeah, it's it's grim stuff. There's no question about it. I mean, considering that they actually had a year where there was a couple things nominated, where I, would, I mean, it's the Oscars who really gives a shit, but. Well, it's like you said, though. It's the, that, that's the one that makes you makes people the most able to pat themselves on the back and feel good at the water cooler while still getting exactly what they have always gotten what they want. But they can feel smart, you know. Top Gun doesn't do that. Fablemans doesn't do that. None of the others really do that, at least as well <laughs> and as and as sinister <laughs> as everything does. 
it's 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 more this like the movie has like kind of wiped people's memories and it's now the first mo- movie about like chinese immigrant families yeah first one for sure <laughs> truly the first well event. it's the first one that i would ever watch because instead of it being about uh, a milieu that i would have a cultural distance from and i might have to work a little bit to relate mm. to yeah. they're just going to shape it directly towards my experience yep. and create a fantasy uh, a fantasy world where yeah there's actually no uh no distance here there's no work that i have to do but yet because it is a chinese immigrant family i get to feel worldly for having watched it yep it, it's an extremely well sold movie by a24 oh yeah they're they're the best at this yeah they're I mean, the best they at like, Weinstein shit. Like they, 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 yeah, they're on their Weinstein shit where they understand there's going to be this uh, this zone in the middle there uh, of films uh, with uh, limited budgets that are going that are not going to be able to afford IP to to uh, buttress them, but that can consistently get an audience by. Uh, conveying a sense of uh, formal rigor or artistic ambition that is undercut in every other respect. Yeah. So that it's not too intimidating uh, and it doesn't, it doesn't really challenge, but it gives the, the pseudo effect of that. And, yeah. and if that, and then you're, you're, and that's a Marvel you've Marvel-fied the, the mid uh, budget independent film totally i mean it's no longer the star system model you can't get a weird movie made based off of who signs on to be in it 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 truly is like if it's not ip it must circle the drain like extremely close Mm -hmm. yeah they weinstein it and they literally have his assistant from miramax running (laughs) that shit over at (laughs) eight Which they is know it, what they're fucking doing. Yeah, and which he learned that method of like campaigning for movies in the Oscars literally from Bill Clinton. So <laughs> it all as always with everything we do since we've started the show, it all comes back to the fucking Clintons every time. Matt, what are your opinions on the Clintons? <laughs> uh just you know, just a couple of uh of committed public servants. <laughs> I, I was happy to see that Hillary's doing some uh she's like teaching uh like international public relations now at like some school. <laughs> Sick. Yeah. When they when, when you get when it gets frustrating and uh you get uh, no I uh bomb them. Just just drop bombs. It's it's incredible how that fixes things. Pretty good method. Speaking of dropping bombs. What are your thoughts about Forrest Gump? And let me see if I can attack that. I haven't watched it in a long time. I remember I saw it as a, when it came out and I was like, oh, that's all right. Uh, but I hated it by the time of the Oscars because it beat Pulp Fiction, which I blew my mind and I thought was the greatest movie of all time. And that bitterness certainly has colored my feelings towards it. I mean, I have the 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 bog standard uh, ideological objections to it, although those don't really count for much when you're really talking about a movie. Uh, I, I just uh, treacly, I guess would be the word. This is great because we are coming <laughs> from the exact same place. When I rewatched it and worked hard to watch it with a clean slate, I was floored how 
mean of a movie it is about idiot white boomers. I will say yeah. that's exactly. And I think it, and I think it, it also is. It's related when Spielberg took Tarantino and Zemeckis duck hunting during award season when the nominations came out, and Spielberg called it how things would go go out, but they all went duck hunting together for whatever reason. And, and John Milius too. And he John was- Milius, yeah. Well, of course, anytime anyone's shooting things, Milius is there. But uh, after shortly after that. Quentin has a great quote where he just says, if you're something like if you're familiar with Bob's work, there's a lot more acid running through it than you might realize. And I think that is uh, very apt for Forrest Gump. If you can put aside how so many of our parents felt about it. (laughs) I think it's a very, a very, uh, to me now, a very clearly harsh, mean movie about the, the state of things that Zemeckis saw in this country and how upset he was about it. And I think it was uh, co-opted by um, the people he was making fun of, who thought, who drank it fully, and thought he was making a movie about how great they are. <laughs> if you're still interested in this, I will. I'll give you. <laughs> yeah, go for it. I need to okay. hear elaborate. Right. <laughs> okay, so kind of what struck me immediately right off the bat, rewatching it after that, after that, you know, the feather drops. <laughs> the first thing he does in the movie, and we know that he's like a multimillionaire. And if you've seen the movie, he's, he starts, he's a multimillionaire. We'll get, I'll get to why in a second, but he, he starts the movie off by literally just blow, like bugging a black woman at a, like, at a, uh, like a bus stop about her shoes. <laughs> and then decides to let me chew your ear off about how I got to here. And, how I how I'm sitting with you next to the at this bus stop, and this woman couldn't give a shit. She's going to clearly like a job at a hospital, something like that, normal service job. So over the course of the movie, we're introduced to his relationship with Jenny, and uh, he goes to war, all that shit. The scene that normally gets talked about the most is probably the Black Panther scene, and like people think that he's like they're making fun of the Black Panthers in that scene. I never thought that they're, they're making fun of the white guy. Yeah. Cause they're literally, I mean, we were yeah. on some of our old episodes, we pull up a bunch of like old articles from the time and it's so much that, Oh, they're making fun of the black Panthers. Well, they're the only people in that room who see that he's a fucking idiot. What immediately follows that scene, I think is it's greatest kind of, uh, this is where I would draw the comparison between Zemeckis, this film, especially, and probably some of the greatest work by uh, John Ford. Now, John Ford is so good at, I think, showing things happening on screen and have characters say the almost the complete opposite or vice versa. Uh, Eastwood's picked up this mantle. I think he does it to great effect. But what we have here are these two characters, Jenny and Forrest, sort of talking about how they have been reunited. And visually, what he has next to them, they're walking against a candlelight procession of people who've died in Vietnam. No attention is called to it, except we're seeing these candlelight people, and they're filed going one way against the Capitol. Ginny and Forrest are walking the complete opposite way of that procession and are talking without a care to what is literally happening right next to them the entire time. Well, that seems intentional because that looked like an extremely hard shot to pull off. (laughs) So... I would assume Zemeckis, who uh, has shown that there is more under the hood than he lets on, 
is probably getting something. And I think with Marwin, he does this. It's like he utilizes that Alan Silvestri music in a way that disarms you. So we move along. I'll move. I'll make my case very quick here. <laughs> we move along. The final is the scene with how he becomes a multimillionaire, and the scene where he becomes a multimillionaire. I'm sure we all remember. He got bubble. He's got the bubble gump shrimp boat. He's going out. He's catching the shrimp with Lieutenant Dan, and he does a great. There's a great line where he says, "Yeah, I, I prayed for like the heavens to come and like take, uh, give us like money and make success for us." Well, I guess the heavens don't really come, but what they do, it wipes out basically the entire black shrimping industry. So I'm going to show that you see it only briefly on a newspaper that this has now decimated this entire population's like so- source of revenue. And then he comes in and he's got bubblegum shrimp now. He's got everybody's favorite place to go with their parents on vacation and bug the waiters and have them do the lines from Forrest Gump. Now, obviously, that's came later. But what they're showing is that this guy is now like taken on this entire population's industry and has utilized it for his own. And I think going from there in the rest of the movie, it isn't too hard to see that this is the do-gooder boomer coming through, making great progress, societal change, while really just being a self-absorbed person who benefits off the backs of others. Uh, I mean, the fact that he is a he's supposed to be a generational icon who is also you know mentally handicapped. I think that's a pretty, pretty on the nose uh, bit of critique. Uh, but, uh, you know, at a certain point, you just got to look at how uh, people repl- responded to it. And if nothing else, marvel at uh, the Americans, America's ability to see whatever they want. Well, yeah, look where we are but, now. You know, but that's what happens when you keep it, you know, subtle like that. Not yeah. really. They're go, they're going. They're going to take anything you give them, which means he's really he is like most of these guys. He's playing a double game. He gets to feel satisfied, like oh, I'm making some critique, whereas it also makes a zillion dollars and gets a bunch of Oscars. Best of both worlds. Yeah, uh, ice cream for dinner. It enables him to now make flight. It enables him to keep pushing it. And I guess that's the sad dance of Hollywood. But, I mean, this dance has been, you know, danced forever. I mean, The Searcher, you know, Searchers is a movie that is constantly talked about as having racist overtones where I think you rewatch it. It seems to be very much questioning that sort of racism. So we're recently as American Sniper. I mean, there's a great movie that I think got completely misconstrued by the general public. <laughs> now, that movie says that the Iraq war is a bad idea because Iraqis aren't worth the sacrifice of American heroes. I don't know if I agree with that. I would say that the movie features that because the Iraq war is very much part of the story. I would say it is uh, almost kind of a, you can look at it as kind of a reimagining of Unforgiven. A complete, I mean, not as like, you don't have the stand-ins of like Eastwood the cowboy, but you have the American soldier, which is so different from the book it was ripped from. But well, that's the thing yeah. is that Chris Kyle was a real guy, and he was an actual American that we have. He was yeah. not a iconic cowboy. He was not the he was he was raised to believe in that kind of thing, but he was just another uh, cynical, uh, sadistic narcissist. That and so. Turning yeah. him into the cowboy in the movie uh, 
and like giving him that evocation it it is it's too obscuring of the of reality that there's no room for any critique there that isn't just at the end of the day a uh disdain for these mud people who don't deserve our freedom and don't deserve our sacrifice and also fucking cgi blood and no squibs fuck that movie okay i mean honestly i would be willing if he if he was if he had real like head blown up squid shit i would ignore the politics but for the first scene in that movie it's just dog shit cgi bullet hits so everything else is going to uh suffer for that lack of viscerality i will agree with you that there could have been more squibs and there weren't any yeah, it's well, all it's all Game Boy bullshit. Well, we know he's good with squibs. We know that. Yeah, and yet, and yet, and yet. No, and I don't yet. get. I tell me where this thing is. I do not understand the, uh, the people who want to see that. Like, yeah, his his movies are interrogating. You know, uh, uh, the the icon iconography that he was part of, uh, and like overlaying it on America. And I think Richard Jewell is is brilliant at doing that because he can see Richard Jewell for who he is. He can see him for being a real person. He cannot see Chris Kyle as a real American. So he's just he's just redoing Unforgiven without recognizing that Unforgiven is a coda and that we are living in the aftermath of it. Well, well, that movie even has like the literalization of it. But I think like with uh, his portrayal of Chris Kyle, it's almost like the stripping away of that evocation of the outlaw. It's not the it's not the hat. It's not the him carrying the shotgun. It's not him walking in to blast away little Bill. It's the it's the mentality of the sanctioned killer who is now the person responsible for all these deaths, as much as the Eastwood character uh, likes to say it is, and he is completely stripped it to literally the bones of what it is. It's a it's an amoral killer who is now losing no. his mind because no, when he gets no, back no, to the United no. States, he breaks down psychologically. But why does he break down psychologically? Because he couldn't save more people. He's like fucking Oscar Schindler with a sniper rifle. I, I need to be out there to protect my guys. Yeah, but that, and that's, I think, where Eastwood does not agree with him because there's the scene where they're at the wedding or the, the reception or whatever, and you see all these guys being like, we're going back, man, we're going in. The only person who gives any register to the horror about what could happen is the woman in that scene. She's the only one, and the camera focuses on her specifically. I wouldn't say Eastwood is very much... Uh, in line with uh, these characters, with these uh, army soldiers. And whether he pulls it off or not, what he's doing is I think he's getting more into that individualistic mindset, uh, the mindset of the person who thinks that they should have saved more people, that that's justification for the heinous shit that they did. I don't think it's portrayed as heinous. I think it's portrayed pretty heinously. when No, no. Yeah. For, For one thing, You've got the the, the 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 Syrian sniper who's who's structuring his whole time over there and providing a, a reason for being there. Then the 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 most brutal thing they show is an Iraqi Saud uh, Al Qaeda guy using a, a drill on somebody, which is hilarious since it was American trained death squads that actually used drills on people in Iraq. Absolutely, like it, it, the, the the horror is that this is a horrible place. That's the horror. And that anything we do there is going to be horrible because the place is horrible. Yeah. I mean, but that could also just be the mindset of these characters that go over there. 
That's what they're trained to see when they go over there, just as much as they're trained. But he's but to what he chooses to show, but but like he's choosing to show uh, their barbarity as like a central element of this. Like that's that's his choice. That's not and and if you want to fucking if you want to go against the grain of the characters, you do not take Chris Kyle as face value. Well, unless you're not trying to tell the story of Chris Kyle, unless you're trying to tell the story of the American soldier. But that's not it either. It's 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 a fraudulent. The whole thing is fraudulent because it takes as seriously the self mythologizing. Like the reason that uh, uh, um, Richard Jewell is so good is because you've got a guy who also takes all that stuff seriously, but because he's a fat loser who's a security guard, it's comical, and and the it, contrast is instant. But because the guys in an American Sniper carry all of the 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 signifiers of of alpha maledom that that uh that eastwood responds to he takes them seriously as that's what they are whereas chris kyle was a uh, a uh i mean forget the fact that he was a, a, a sociopath or whatever he was a serial bullshit artist absolutely who, and self-promoter who just wanted to be famous absolutely so absolutely. that's the story make he couldn't see he literally could not see what Kyle was because he had a gun in his hand. I think you're honestly, we're agreeing more than we're disagreeing. No, no, because it's because not a good movie. Think, but he doesn't, he's not able to see anything outside of him by the end of that movie. So it's much. It's not better. a good movie. That's why I, dis- I did, do not agree. Well, then if and it's the CGI, movie, honestly, number one reason it isn't good. More than any of this other shit we're talking about. Then let's close Because that. that movie does have an action movie structure and ends with a big shootout. With with all the Al Qaeda guys after they build their bridge after they build their wall, oh, but that's it, like not even towards it's the climax dog of the shit. movie. That's not even towards the climax of the movie. That's like middle of the movie. The last part of the movie is him literally trying to kill the family dog. But hey, you know what? We're not going to argue about American Sniper. <laughs> I think that this was more interesting than probably talking about Zemeckis. <laughs> but um, hey, you know what? We can agree on Richard Jewell because I do think that his disrespect the lack of respect he probably had for the security guard makes makes a movie like that kind of kind of pop i mean the, talk about a movie that really said something about the american culture of the last like 20 years i mean the macarena scene I mean, great oh my god amazing yeah everybody's bored they're not no no not uh, and also his movie if you want to talk about his movies about troops i think that the fucking uh, Paris movie with the real troops is better than American Sniper. I would agree. The, I think the scene where they, where the scene where they, ha- they, they, uh, they show them, uh, like uh, at the Cold Stone Creamery, and then they go get the gelato in Italy, yeah. and it's just the same experience. It's just yeah. the same numb consumer uh, ritual. I'm hey, I'm with you on that. I love fifteen seventeen. I think like if anything, that's him maybe trying to. I don't know if make amends, but try to further whatever he was trying to do with American Sniper. Right. Like I think I, all those movies are of a piece. Like he's, he's trying to interrogate like the way that these myths are, are now being uh, uh, performed uh, in, you know, post nine 11 America. Yeah. Uh, and I think it is a progression and they get like, they get better. And I feel like Richard Jewell's where he really nailed it. We would all agree on that. Um, what do you think about Cry Macho? Ooh, I mean, yikes. He's just, I get like, you know, it's a thing, but it was, 
it was it was hard not to find it amusing and i don't know if that's what he was going for but just he's such a scarecrow you know <laughs> he's just such a comically old man do you think and we're having do, three? having three ways it's like yeah. is this this feels like it has to be kind of a bit well and that's two movies where he's been put back out on a job to go do something and has threesomes in it so yeah <laughs> gonna say I, I still we were talking about before you came on Matt that wondering if that is whether he he knew it or knows it or not but whether that is the swan song and he gave <laughs> and he gave himself this weird last little fantasy of threesomes and running away to Mexico and just taking it easy <laughs> you know because it, it kind of feels like that to me and that's why I'm definitely yeah it feels movie. like a coda I mean he has not started a new movie yes it's been seen in public in like over a year i think he kind of he, he realized that it was going to be it he must i mean warner brothers isn't even they won't even yeah they dumped him new guy they won't even let him uh pitch his new movie oh that fucking guy that zaitsev or whatever the fuck yeah yeah yeah, yeah. That, oh, yeah. philistine that oaf yes <laughs> oh he's such a fucking idiot i mean <laughs> Those leaked email, the leaked telephone call where he's like, we don't owe Eastwood anything. Oh. <laughs> Which is technically not true. He actually brought so much credibility to Warner Brothers by winning at Oscars. So much so they gave him his own wing of the fucking place. But No more. No, no more, more indeed. Now he gets to go out with an image that's like uh, the Sam Peckinpah image of Mexico as, as, as a sort of heaven. So... Which is interesting for a guy considered to be a, a right-wing sort of filmmaker to have such a loving depiction of Mexico. Well, what's in there? I mean, what if I'll just end on, if you could describe Eastwood politically. <laughs> That's what it turned into. Good. If you could describe Eastwood politically, well, how would you define him? Uh, I mean, he, he's a, uh, uh, I guess, I, 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 if it feels wrong to eat put like a label on it because i doubt he really has thought too much about it yeah uh he just a a a guy who grew up thinking things work one way and doesn't know why they can't keep working that way which it's you know that's very common and especially if you've you know been successful your whole life you're not really going to come into a lot of conflict with that idea uh but you know he he is uh, enough of an artist that he is interrogating those feelings uh, and and is able to make really interesting, provocative art out of them. He doesn't have, it doesn't seem like he has a, uh, he has blind spots, obviously, but he doesn't have uh, things that he kind of fetishistically uh, can't confront. Like it does seem like he's willing to uh, be frank in a way that a lot of politically minded uh, filmmakers can't be. Yeah. And yeah, whether American sniper is kind of that black hearted thing for him. Yeah. I mean, he, I, you know, we don't have to keep going on that, but I would say kind of, well, I can't help but think it's occupied <laughs> a sort of dark totemic place in American filmography, like, uh, like something like straw dogs, which still gets, dissected and fought against to this day yeah um it's it's a shame that that relic of the past of hollywood is now literally not allowed at warner brothers anymore they probably, yeah they can't they probably shut his malpaso offices he can't feed the squirrels anymore hmm. 
Now I just have the uh, the Twitter account. Is that actually? Do we know if that's actually him or if, someone? It, uh, I, I don't know. It's it's got a check mark, but it's a Twitter blue check mark, so I have no idea. Yes. Is that the new kind of check mark that you can like buy? Yeah, that you can buy. Uh, starting next month, it's going to be the only one available. Oh. Um, is there anything you wanna you wanna plug at the end here? Anything coming up? Uh, is Chapa going back on the road or anything like that? I think we might uh, this year, but we haven't said anything. So keep 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 uh, watching the skies. Okay. What a treat to have you come on and argue American Sniper with me. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely, could've, I could've it was fun. That for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Matt Christman, it's been a pleasure. And uh, just remember, people listening, uh, tickets are on sale. Music Box Theater for Cracker Jack Compass, the works of Robert Zemeckis, soon to be followed by uh, the Driller Killer, a.k.a. the Clint Eastwood uh, retrospective. So, uh, yeah, until then, we will see you all later. Goodbye. Kiss me. Marlene nightly Beside the green, green grass Swing, swing Swing the spinning step You wear those shoes and I will wear that dress Oh, kiss me Beneath the milky twilight Lead me Out on the moonlit floor Lift your open head Strike up the band and make the fireflies Sparkling So kiss me